We are on Hollywood Boulevard. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Greetings. Yeah, greetings and salutations. So welcome. Uh, I think, well, I know one thing that Karen and I are sort of going to be talking about, but we have no idea which direction it's going to go. Um, Hopefully, we will stay going in the right direction on the boulevard, though. Um, So I'm excited about that. I think this is going to be a very theater-heavy podcast. But Karen, I wanted to mention a TV show I've been watching first. Um, Not to get it out of the way, but I'm not going to talk about it too long. Actually, I'm going to talk about two things Mm. um, that I've been watching but are ongoing. Um, So we'll continue talking about them, I think, on a future podcast. Um, The first is on Apple TV. Have you heard of Severance? I have, and I'm very curious, and I think I'm going to start watching it because I've been hearing really good things. Yeah. Should I? Yeah, definitely. No, I'm not done. I think it just finished season one, nine episodes, and we're five episodes in, so pretty much halfway. Okay. Um, And you know a little bit about the concept then? Uh, Yes. So it stars Adam Scott, and he works at this very, you know, like sterile kind of futuristic looking company um, that does a procedure that is kind of known to the world called severing, where they actually do implant a kind of chip in their employees' brains that makes them unable to remember anything that happens at work when they are home in their personal life, and then when they are in their personal life, makes them unable to recall things that happen during the workday. Actually, not a bad idea, which is, I'm sure, a deliberate <laughs> metaphor. Um, uh, but the show is kind of uh, like a paranoid thriller from the 70s, or even from like, it actually kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the same vibe I got from the true like early indies, from the late mm. 80s, early 90s. Um, it, you know, Patricia Arquette is the head of this company. Um, And so we get the sense that they do this. We don't know what at all kind of work goes on at this company, but, but there must be some sort of ulterior motives for what they're doing or the people who they are appealing to be their willing employees. Uh, great concept starts out really, really smart. And I'm really curious to see where they go with it and how they set it up for future seasons. Uh, logistically i have some questions about how all of this really can work if you don't know anything from your outside life and your upbringing like what kind of skills can you actually employ from nine to five or thereabouts um the one thing that i question a little bit to be a negative dougie is um most of the action that happens in the workplace ends up being about the few employees that we do see uh, who Adam Scott is kind of like a middle manager to oversee. He inherits that role in the pilot. Um, most of the action is about the people questioning the validity and the safety of, of the actual severance procedure. So we have one character really trying to escape and another one questioning it and learning more and more and more. And my thing is if severance actually worked, 
Well, wouldn't you during the yeah. hours just be focusing on doing the work? Right, right. You why, know, why would you? May, you know, this thing. is the kind yeah. of thing. It's it's very like Westworld, like where the creatures or the robots become sentient. It's kind of like okay, it's one thing for one character to start to become sentient or maybe questioning their chip, but it seems like all of the characters we see that are underlings here are questioning it. But, but nonetheless, if you can follow that, if you can get on board with that, which, you know, I'm willing to, uh, I'm in for the ride and I'm curious to see how the rest of it goes. It's a big recommend. I'm glad I'm watching it. Okay. All right. Cause I was, I, I, I was kind of like eh, on the fence and then I started getting more curious and then a lot of, you know, seeing a lot more about people saying, oh, this is really good. And you should, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I didn't know about it ahead of time and then i listened to maybe an npr review and i was like "Mm, i'm not sure if this is one to add to the list and and you know i just kept seeing it keep popping up in conversation uh and finally we did that thing we're like do we want to see this i don't know i don't know maybe add it to the list are we sure we don't want to watch this okay let's watch it that's basically how it worked (laughs) and and you've been enjoying it and we are enjoying it. And I have to say, I'm not a big Adam Scott fan. And that may have been an initial turnoff, too. Uh, but he's very good here. I mean, the whole cast yeah. is is quite good. Okay. Um, and I'll talk about it more once I get to the end. And, and if you want, we can wait if you think you will watch it. Um, it may be worth revisiting then. But, but definitely a worthwhile watch. Okay. Um, and we're also... I guess halfway through the new show about Julia Child that's on HBO Max. I've been watching that. So, um, I mean, I'll actually cede the floor to you because I'm doing so much talking. So you can tell me more about uh, you watching it. I love it. Yeah, I do too. I love it. I think it is so well done. Um, And it's a theater guy behind it, right? Daniel Goldfarb? I think he's written for TV in the past too, but he's done he's done some yeah some plays yeah. at least in New York theater, probably elsewhere too. And, and you can really sort of and, and you can really kind of almost feel it like it's done very very smart. Um, and the cast is wonderful. The cast I mean, is it's excellent. So wonderful to see David Hyde Pierce doing something, and he is just fantastic as Julia's husband. And I just hope that they had such a beautiful, as beautiful a relationship as being portrayed on this show. Well, if and you watched Julie and Julia, it seems like that. Seems that's like pretty did, real. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just been like really fascinating to sort of. Well, first of all, it's it's really fascinating to sort of see this imagined. I don't know how much is real and how much is because it's based on a book. Is it based on a book? Um, probably it might be based on multiple sources. Okay, about her. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fictionalized true history. True history, you know, where they combine characters and and throw some stuff in that didn't happen along with some truths. Because I was sort of like very curious, like, did she really fund her own pilot episode? You know, like we're seeing a lot of like these intricacies of how her show got off the ground, her TV show got off the ground. Yeah, and that's when we meet her. Like she and her husband have already like lived a good chunk of their life. And it's how she sort of finds her own fulfillment as a chef um, and, and fights to bring a cooking show to the air when it was a very novel thing. Right, right. And it was sort of like really interesting to see them go through this 
well, how are we going to make Kukovan in 25 minutes? Right. It takes three hours. And all of a sudden you hear, well, why don't we pre-cook the onions? And why don't we? And I was like, is this the first time this has ever happened? Oh my God, I think it is the first time that it's ever happened. And so, I you know, think that's true, yeah. And, you know, and so it's sort of fun to kind of watch all of that how how shows that how we know how all of this stuff goes on now but to sort of see at the at that time it was such a novel thing right i have um, to believe it was and again there are just there are just moments like um at the publisher's office when uh julia's editor is in this big meeting and like all of these people are there and she's supposed to have a lunch with john updike and she's trying to bob it off on somebody else right and because she wants to go to boston to be with julia when the the pilot episode is being taped and and it just there there's this there it had that feeling of those sort of like big old movies or it, it just has a real theatricality to it it's it's, it's both so meaty, it feels, right? it feel, it, it summons a very madman vibe to me yeah, yeah. because of the coloring and 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 costumes and sets and all of that um which of course summoned like a lot of like the really beautiful color saturated stuff from the 60s but it also it does feel very theatrical a lot yeah. of the scenes are set up you can kind of infer that it's written by an experienced playwright, you know, the dialogue cracks and, and they have faith in their actors who are so seasoned that they can deliver a lot of lengthy monologues. And also where, you know, a pause, a hesitation, a glance, no, when there's no dialogue can also tell you a million things at once. Um, So it's, it's both of those. It recalls like the best of theater and the best of, of like, an older generation of TV. And I don't think you mentioned her name, but Sarah Lancashire or Lancashire um, is Julia Child and she's terrific. Um, And, you know, from Peaky Blinders and whatchamacallit. She was also in Everybody's Talking About Jamie. I miss a bit of the accent, perhaps. This is one of of our quibbles. We've actually had to watch it with um, the subtitles on because I'm actually struggling to hear her through oh, the announcement and to sort of like make out wow. what she is saying through her enunciation. And I think that she is getting tripped up on the accent. Oh, interesting. And it's not that I'm old and my hearing is going, my, my kid is like what? sitting there no, with me and she's like, and she's like, yeah, we need the subtitles. I can't understand a word she's saying. It's funny. So, you know, so, I mean, I'm starting to get better with it, but it sort of feels like when you're, when you first like watch a, like a Scottish like Scottish actors on stage doing a very thick brogue and you're like, you got to kind of lean in and listen real careful. And it takes a minute to like get, you know, I kind of feel like we're getting better the more we watch it or maybe her Mm -hmm, accent mm -hmm. is clearing up. I don't know. But that first episode we were like, turn on the subtitles. I don't understand what she's saying. So that would be like my only complaint. Yeah. I don't, I guess I don't have that problem as much as you do because we haven't had to turn on subtitles but i get it i i hear it um but yeah i've i've really and i i would like to talk about it maybe when we watch the whole thing because i think we're only like three or four episodes and we haven't watched a lot of it i think the rest of the episodes are coming out on a weekly basis so maybe a month from now 
it'll it'll complete. Um, and I also wanted to mention some of the other. It has to be a New York based show or an East Coast based show, because some of the other actors are terrific. Uh, and a lot come straight out of the theater. Jefferson Mays and Judith Light, um, mm-hmm. and significantly, BB Newworth. Yes. Which yes. means we get a mini Frasier reunion. A mini Frasier reunion. Yeah. I'm, and I have to say, you know, Judith Light is almost unrecognizable. And she was wonderful as that sort of bitchy editor. Um, yeah. Who's the head of the Knopf Publishing. Yeah. The head of yeah. the Knopf Publishing. And she's like wonderful. That, I loved that scene. And it was so brief. And I just like, you could just smell the cigarette smoke. Oh, totally. Again, to me, like Mad Men. Yeah. Um, and Fiona Glascott is the one who plays the publisher you mentioned, um, who was part of the engineer behind everything that came to Julia Child. Uh, and she's very good, too. Yeah. And I but, think that is a fictional character who is probably an amalgam of real people. Probably. And now Brittany Bradford, who plays Alice Naiman, who is the producer that brought Julia to... Uh, WGBH in Boston. I couldn't tell. I have no idea if that was based on a real character or not. I think that is also a fictionalized character, but I do not know that. And I have not really researched that. So it could be wrong. Don't hold me to it. Okay. Um, But yeah, she's, uh, she's wonderful too. I mean, it's just, everybody is so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. is. Everyone working at truly the, the top of their game. And also the, the food looks really amazing. It does. It does. I mean, and everything, everything, the wine, everything they eat, everything they serve on, all of it looks so good. Yeah, it really does. And I, so I'm super impressed with what they've done. I was very excited to see this. I love Julia Child. Um, I have her book. I remember you saying that, yeah. which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about yeah. the show. Um, and I just, rem- I grew up with her. She was, my mom would always watch her always watch her. I didn't get it at the time and everything that sure. she made seems so complicated. Um, you know, but now that I'm older and I, and I, I, everything that she made was complicated, but I can understand that, you know, she was trying to show it to us in a very uncomplicated way, um, which I can definitely appreciate. And anyway, yeah, no, it was an absolute delight to watch it. And I'm, I've, it's one of the shows I've really been enjoying and I'm trying not to binge it cause I just want to save her. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. You know, so yeah, it's um, it's a good show. Two thumbs up. Yeah, definitely. Two forks up. Two forks up. Thank you. Good one. Bon appetit. Bon appetit. Um. So now I think we show that's two recommendations. That's two shows we recommend. So yeah. so um, why don't we uh, move to? The world of theater. (laughs) Things we don't recommend in the world of theater. Well, there's going to be a little bit of that. (laughs) Um, Okay. Okay. So should we... So Karen has this thing. Wait, should, should we talk introduce. about my thing or should we talk about your, like, I don't know. Okay. Let's, let me, let me just talk about a couple of shows I saw and then let's open it up to a larger conversation that you want to have about theater. Okay. Um, so I saw a show playing at the second stage theater just off Broadway um, called to my girls by a playwright named JC Lee. Have you heard of this? I've heard of none of this. No. Um, so it's, it's like a 21st century sort of version of the boys in the band where it's, it's a set in Palm Springs, uh, over the course of a weekend where a bunch of secrets are revealed among a tight group of, of gay friends, um, who are, you know, they're renting an Airbnb from, uh, a wealthy 
older gay man who's who shows up every now and then to sort of represent an older generation. But these are these are like insta gays who love being. That's not that's not me. That's not me being pejor- pejorative. It's it's what the characters say to describe themselves. So they're like they're Instagram times. famous. Yeah. In fact, one is one is like not just famous, but it's how he funds his whole fabulous lifestyle just by being constantly on Instagram. And so it's, it's like sort of an incestuous circle of friends and they all sort of know different things about each other and they all have different secrets. And before very long, they all get pretty wasted and start carrying on and start making choices that will force them to start turning on each other over the course of like an hour and 43 minutes uh, or whatever it is. Um, and, and I, and I don't know what the point of the play is only because JC Lee seems to alternately hate his characters and then love mm. and defend them without giving his audience their audience i may maybe should say a reason to um like the lead ostensibly uh is the the one who lives off instagram who's played by jay armstrong johnson a really talented yes, young I actor think jay is very uh, i mean yeah. young he's in his 30s to me it's young um <laughs> and he's he's like bullish and baby-faced um <laughs> which is kind of like how many of the roles that he's played and you know the character makes a lot of decisions that will poison his relationship with his supposed best friends um but he also sometimes acts as like sort of like our omniscient uh, narrator and audience surrogate and a voice of reason until he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And another character who shows up who has a bunch of really like social justice warrior speak um, sounds like he's someone to trust until he also becomes someone who's just too vapid to really trust. Uh, And then the, older character played by brian bat who was also on mad men um shows up more often than one would if they're renting his airbnb i don't know why he has to keep showing up um (laughs) and i don't really it's not really clear to me where he is staying if it's just up the street um but his character ultimately is outed as a trump republican which doesn't seem remotely plausible but also then just becomes another way for i think the playwright to to instill some of his own politics their own politics um and and for the characters to to just sort of say a bunch of stuff only to then have the table be turned and have that older character talk about how these younger characters really stand for nothing and don't have the principles they think they do, which would be an interesting take, except then the rest of the play does not support that at all. Mm. So it's fun, you know, it's in that it's okay. It's easy to sit through. It's a bunch of really attractive gym going actors, uh, you know, often wearing outlandish things or often wearing next to nothing and getting drunk and shoving food in their mouth and dancing to Britney Spears. It's, fun in that regard i just don't think it has much to say and i think it has far less to say than maybe the playwright thinks that it does so that's as ungenerous as i'm going to be i think in talking about works of art um i mean it feels very i don't know it feels very familiar it is it is 
I don't, I, and again, I know I'm just based on like what you're going off of and like my quick like internet scan as I'm trying to be like, well, I've never, I haven't even heard about this and it's kind of, a, you know, it's at second stage and I'm on their mailing list. I guess they've just been deleting a lot. Um, <laughs> so, Could be, yeah. Um, you know, uh, and it is, it is a good cast and Jay is a wonderful actor. And I mean, of course, Brian Bat is no slouch, right? No, no, the actors are, are by and large very good and not at all the problem. You know, Molik yeah. Pancholi, from 30 Rock, among other things, and pretty stalwart theater guy on his own, uh, is is also very good um, as as what they would consider, I guess, like the runt of the group, just because he has one ounce of body fat. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a it's a good cast, but it's a it's a shallow show. Because when you brought it, when you sort of brought it up as like the boys in the band, but for like I think or, or whatever you said, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that would be kind of interesting if it was a group of queer women. Um, oh, I see. Right. Like, and that, that to me, I think is sort of like, I, like, I don't know. It's been in my brain a lot lately, I guess. Um, maybe with some projects that I've been working on that I can't really talk about yet, but the fact that they're like theater has really shunned gay women. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's sort of like always about the boys. Right. Yeah. And, yes, um, it, 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 yes, it very much is. You know, and so for a minute there, I got kind of excited because I, for some reason, I was like, "Oh my God, boys in the band, but for women." That would that would make so much more sense, right? By the way, the title to my girls is is simply a toast that they make about themselves, calling themselves. That, the okay, that's what triggered it to go. Yeah. Oh my God, that must be about. And then it was like, wah, wah. But that would be <laughs> really interesting if you made it truly analogous. Yeah. Kind of like update, but also set it in the world of, you know, like a lesbian group of friends or whatever. I'm taking Uh, that. I'm taking that idea. Nobody else run with that because that's mine. I'll write that sucker. It's it's yours. Yeah. Because then I was like, now that's interesting. But to do an update with, I don't know. I don't know. I guess to update. Sure. I guess. But I guess sort of I'm looking at this as like internet culture, Instagram culture, all of that is so vapid. So of course it's going to be a vapid play. It it just kind of feels like, kind of feels like queer eye, but on stage, right? And maybe with a little bit more with drama less heart. thrown in, Com- probably, and with, yeah, and with probably less, less heart, heart right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like there's definitely uh, this is a show that sort of builds to a come to Jesus moment that I don't really get the impression is going to be the come to Jesus moment from the weekend that changed their lives. Um, it just sort of happens. And there's a late play, Hail Mary, involving a character that that really doesn't show up until very late that I also think just sort of like messes up with the whole the whole flow of what's come before as well. Um, so yeah, I think the play itself is is thin. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, and a play that doesn't really tackle similar themes, but but does center on a gay character is a revival of take me out. And I'm not sure if that's a show you had seen when it was on Broadway and you were still living here. Did not see take me out when it was on Broadway. It just didn't, you know what? When I, when it was, I like, I was curious and I was sort of interested, but then the conversation was just about penises on stage. So that's where this conversation is going to go. Okay. Before long. Uh, <laughs> Warning. Just, just you wait. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I saw it, it. 
it was on Broadway right around the time I moved here, going like 19 years ago. Um, and it was the toast of the town. It was the big Tony-winning Broadway play that year mm. in what is, I must say, a pretty weak year for plays on Broadway. Um, but yeah, so the the plot is basically, it's centered on a fictional but reminiscent of the Yankees uh, baseball team in New York. They're called the Empires. Um, and a fictional biracial star player on the team, seemingly based on Derek Jeter, comes out of the closet. And it's it's sort of what happens after, though the play is a little bit more arch and, and disruptively structured than that. It's a lot of different characters directly address um, the audience. And we don't just see the lead character, Darren, struggle, or, and we don't know why he finally decides to, to come out. Um, the answers he does give to another character are just sort of glibly tossed out there. But he's played by Jesse Williams, of um, Grey's Anatomy, and uh, the other main character, his teammate, is played by Patrick J. Adams of the show Suits. Um, and so it's what happens over the course of the season. There is sort of a um, like socio-cultural domino effect of him announcing that he's coming out that mostly affects um, a new member of the team who's a really like bigoted Southern unpredictable guy. Um, and, and kind of the things that he says and does over the duration of the show. And I think that's a key character, but it's never cast by a star mm. or with a star. So no one really talks about that character who I think is kind of the fulcrum of the whole piece. Um, the character that ends up getting talked about, isn't actually a baseball player at all. It's a an, an accountant, a business manager for the Darren character who suddenly who is gay and who suddenly discovers sports and kind of a new part of his life for the first time, even though he's always on the far periphery of the play. Mm-hmm. That was originated by Dennis O'Hare, who won a Tony and I think every award back then. And it's now another Jesse. It's Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Um, from Modern Family, but also from Broadway shows like 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee and such. Um, and he's good. Like, I mean, he's 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 very good. Uh, but the revelation is definitely Jesse Williams in the leading role of the player that comes out. He's excellent. And in the beginning, both he and Patrick J. Adams... Uh, I could tell by their line delivery that they didn't come from theater. There was something a little bit more canned, kind of like what I was saying about Sarah Jessica Parker last year, saying, you just know that when Maureen Stapleton was saying it, she was imbuing it with a lot more. Um, there, there was something that seemed like TV-friendly when these guys first stepped on stage. Mm. But by and large, Jesse Williams overcomes all of that in a really empathic performance, very present, shows a lot of chops. I give him a lot of credit. It's among the very best performances I've seen this season. Oh, wow. um, and that's important to say because he's truly a newcomer. Um, 
to the stage. And he ends up really owning the material. Um, I don't know if I said it, but Richard Greenberg is the playwright. And I think he has written some new stuff. I'm not sure any of it, the changing of some of the lines or, or additional scene stuff is really merited. Um, I still think the play is a little messy, a little thin, but it works, which is kind of his genius in the end. Um, but Jesse Williams is really doing something with the show. So, so great for him. I would never have thought that was something I would have said. So that was a pleasant surprise to witness. Wow. I actually didn't realize that he, his background wasn't theater for some reason. I was just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like I was like, yeah, sure. I have, I have no idea why I didn't put that together. Yeah. And so this was originally a show that was also supposed to premiere, um, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, I think they have brought over everyone who was supposed to be with it. I may be okay. wrong. Someone in the company might have been a replacement along the way. Um, but I think he had already left Grey's Anatomy. And I don't know if this was in any way a part of that. Um, or he just thought his time in that show was up. And since he was free, this was something to do. Uh, but I'm glad he stuck with it. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's two shows. Um Obviously, I've spoken a little bit more highly of Take Me Out than I have about To My Girls, um, and it's been a weird season, a first pancake season in many ways. Um, and I think what we've seen is that since February 2020 or March 2020, the scene has shifted, both in terms of how people, the shows people are doing, how people are talking about theater, and how people are reviewing theater. And I think you had something to say about that. <laughs> well, I think I do. So this concerns, um, so we know the show that I'm talking about. This actually concerns The Little Prince, which I guess is on Broadway. It's now, yeah, it just opened on Broadway earlier this week. opened on Broadway, and I guess it's a dud. Yeah, kind of like in every way, I think people have said this adaptation just don't work yeah so which is fine right I, you haven't seen it have you i haven't and i are don't you, think i'm going to okay all right so so i mean i'm gonna, just going to take what the critics are saying at face value because it's pretty much unanimous the show is not very good right um and so one of the critics who will remain nameless posted their review on the the social medias and and basically to the effect of like this is a terrible show here is my one star review you know and and then there was this sort of pile on of people commenting in a very gleeful way, right? About his review, you know, because, well, first of all, we'll just say critics, I've always been told, and this is by critics, that they, um, they have more fun writing the bad reviews. Um, it's, they, I've been told it's easier and, um, and it just is a little bit more delightful. Uh, they can have more fun with it to, to write a bad review. Um, and I think that that does come across with some writers when they do write bad reviews because they can be real sort of like, you know, like they can be very well written, very entertaining to read. And so there seems to be this sort of like pile on after of like, Oh, ha ha. I loved your review. It was so great. It was so funny, you know, but then to sort of start seeing actual, not critics, right? Not journalists, but actual artists, producers, people in the industry pile on 
in a way that's sort of like, you know, that sort of, yeah, you showed them. Yeah. How dare they bring this bad show, you know, to Broadway and to, to our stages and that sort of behavior. I don't know. I just said, I just saw that and I saw enough industry doing that, that I felt like, Ooh, this is really gross. Well, yes. You know what I mean? It's like there, there is a celebration of a show's failure. Um, you know, I know nothing about the show. I don't know who's involved. I don't know who the, who, what, who the talent is behind it. I don't know who the producers are. For all I know, it's some really wealthy person who decided to like fund his wife's dream of being a Broadway sure. yeah. playwright and this was their favorite story. So, or it could be, I don't know, people like Julie Taymor. I have absolutely no idea. Right. Um, but, but the fact is there's, there was still work involved. Um, yeah. there was still people do, you know, putting on a show, doing the creative work to put the show up and, you know, okay, fine. It's not, maybe, maybe it has artistic merit. Maybe it doesn't, but enough people don't like it. Um, so in that regard, it's been a quote unquote failure, but to just kind of see that pile on, I don't know. I found it really disturbing. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, so a couple things, because you're tapping into something, and I think you might only be tapping into, or this conversation is only tapping into half of what I've seen go on now. Okay. But I agree that so many critics take the easy way out and find it easier, more enjoyable, whatever the words are, to write a mean review. I think the easiest reviews to write are always when something is really good or something is really bad. The middling things, where no one is doing terribly, the play isn't terrible, the musical isn't terrible, the performances aren't amazing, the show isn't amazing, but there is work of value and it's people's blood, sweat, tears, and time, um, are the trickier things, where you try and figure out what works, what doesn't, and how can I write about this in an entertaining way. It's always easiest, because it's the lowest hanging fruit, to write about things that don't work in an unflattering but entertaining way. Right. The, the the trick and the job is to do so in a way that feels fresh and, you know, like not beleaguered by it. And also like, you're not a bully right. because that's too easy. Now, I also am aware as a critic that, and one who used to once be called the sweet critic of New York at that. Um, we should that TM that. TM. I should, I should have. Maybe I'll return to that. Um, that, those reviews, especially at the higher end, have real power and can really hurt people's financial future. Now, it's not the critic's responsibility, perhaps, but there is some sort of ethical human element to, like, don't write things that are so poisonous they can have a really negative impact on other people. It's impossible. It's possible to say that a work is middling and doesn't quite work in a way that you can use your other writerly instincts to get across but here oh yeah, go ahead no, well you, i was no, gonna go say i'm not even i'm not even upset about the bad like i'm not i don't have a but you're talking about the pylon right i'm talking about the pylon so that's the, the other pylon thing. from from journalists like other journalists like okay fine like whatever that's 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 your that's your thing that's what you do it was that sort of like unnecessary pylon by the by the people in the industry who are the actual artists, actors, producers, whatever, that are so quick to jump in and celebrate a failure 
right? Whereas if that was the review that like if they were my clients and they got that, that review, they would be calling me screaming for like this critic's head on a platter. Yeah. How dare that person write this way? They don't understand the work. They didn't get it. You know what I mean? Like there are all these sort of like, the, I'm misunderstood, you know, here are all the reasons why I'm wonderful, but the world just doesn't know it yet, you know? Um, and, and then to sort of, and then to sort of see that because it's not their review, they have this sort of impetus to go out there and, and be joyful about it's about a show's failure. Yeah, I see. I see all of that and the, that sort of schadenfreude. What I've seen happen through that social media has gone on and our world has devolved. Um, and certainly in the last couple of years is that's one side of, of a a, a two-sided thing and the other side is it's theater quote-unquote fans i guess i'll call them theater stands because that seems to fit more so like that includes people that are in the industry and some people that are like industry adjacent or think they know so much about the industry they might as well be in the industry right i sort of lump them all together there's this sort of group think that i've never been a part of that decides ahead of time what the good shows and what the bad shows are going to be and what the important people and what the unimportant people are going to be. And right. they sort of reverse engineer a mentality ahead of time that whatever the reviews are, and it can also be like more casual reviews or just like tweets that also are yay or nay about a show. There are shows that have a big camp of this show has to succeed and anyone who writes something against it, I'm going to take you down. Or right. these shows do not deserve to breathe, and we live for the people that help take them down. Right. Does that does that make sense? Because I see that, and I see it on both sides. Because it's everything is now polarized, and that's like the poisoned well that I have sort of witnessed, and just keep my mouth shut as much as I can because I don't want to <laughs> give any life right. to this slow death of culture. Because I mean, yeah, I've been a critic for 30 years in some way shape or form um like my take on it is close to home but but my thing is we respond to things based on objective flaws or successes or things that do or don't work and if you want to read reviews it's because you want to see what is supposedly good and what might work about it or what is maybe not great and what might not be something that's working and now I know how to evaluate work on my own. But that's now it's just part of a larger like smear campaign or love campaign that people simply want to involve, uh, you know, like as part of, of the overall. This is how I have made a choice about something and I have my friends and they have made the same choice. And you're either with us or against us, but this is more ammo for what I need. And if anything falls outside of that, we do not want to embrace it. So it was decided long ago by people that, like at large, that The Little Prince was not supposed to be something to cheer for. So when the reviews came out and were largely negative and some were truly like gleeful, gleeful in a negative way, people piled on and rejoiced about that. There was another show that came that opened maybe two weeks ago. Um, 
it seemed to have a lot of of very basic flaws and problems, but was deemed an important play and a play or, sh- or show to get excited about. Um, and when reviews, as polite as I think they were, started to reflect that there were flaws, people started attacking the reviews. Oh. And and for the few outliers that kind of, I don't think objectively, were praising it to a higher level, those reviews were elevated across social media because they were doing something deemed more heroic. Right. right. And I think what we see is now uh, uh, like kind of a, a circular effect where people are writing for the audience's reaction to lift them up, which will continue to promote them, if that makes sense. No, I'm sorry, you lost me. I'm also really so. Sorry, so I might review a show because I know that this is a show the audience wants to hear good things about. So I'll say good things about it, so well, okay. that oh, okay. so, so that people out there will continue to say we like but, Doug but what as a writer, audience, right? Like what audience? Because I don't think that that audience is necessarily the, the, the you're it, it's almost more like the chatterati more so than the actual audience right it because is they don't, it they is don't it's think that it's the same it's, right because right because when i say audience i'm basically mean like a group of online voices not actually people who are like the butts in the seats right right and so that's 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 the difference that's not the true audience of people who go and see the shows they're probably the people that don't or if they do are getting in for free or as a plus one or a plus two or whatever but maybe not even that um uh so so yeah it's equivalent to me the way we started labeling people who watch shows like 30 rock and Mad Men as super viewers or the office because mm-hmm. they made non-stop noise about the shows and it made it sound like these shows were hits even though they had actually very low ratings for the durations of their run but you wouldn't know that because there was a lot of noise around them Oh, I actually like, did not know that. Like 30 Rock in The Office had ratings that paled in comparison to, say, Two and a Half Men. Mad Men and Breaking Bad, at least for the majority of the Breaking Bad run, probably had ratings that were far lower than, say, NCIS or CSI. But like you had a lot more people right, yeah. getting paid you know, like a lot of respect because they were cheering on shows like 30 Rock in The Office or Mad Men or or whatever but like there's a big discrepancy between the numbers of the people who are making the noise and the numbers of the people who are actually watching are actually the show watching. so to yeah. me it's analogous when we're talking about theater but but the point you say is why would people including people who are actually in the industry and may know these people or may have worked with these people or want to be hired mm-hmm. by these people in the future why are they cheering it on there really is a group thing there really is uh, across the industry and people that watch, that pay attention to theater, of just deciding long ahead of time. I mean, maybe it's a month or maybe it's six months or whatever when a show is announced to come, um, that a show should succeed or that a, sh- a show deserves failure. Yeah, that's really what happened. We were talking a couple of months back about the Music Man revival with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, right. where they became Public Enemies one and one and a half. Um, just by signing on to do a show that Twitter decided was the wrong show at the wrong time. Right. Right. Probably didn't see the show. Probably you're speaking about it, not having gone, gone to it, 
But that's what I'm hearing. Now, I am much better about trying to stay away from those conversations. I never go to the boards. I'm never on theater sites like All That Chat or Broadway World to see what people are saying. Because I think it's, and it's not all. Some are calm. Some are full of like legitimate passion and want things to succeed. But it, you know, it's a, you know, it's a lot of darts yeah. being tossed around. Yeah. It's very toxic. Yeah, it, it is very toxic. And I, I just kind of found myself looking at this and going, why don't you put down the fucking keyboard and go work on something? That's what that's what I say. I'm like, if you don't like it, if you don't, if something is not for you, you don't ever have to go and see it. No one's holding you at gunpoint and saying you have to go. Just pay attention to something else. Just do something else with your day. Yeah, yeah. But I was just kind of like, you know, instead of piling on to this show, like, why don't you go create something? Go, go do something. You know, go do something productive and and interesting and not, you know, and, and not just sit on, you know, sit behind your your phone or your laptop or yeah, whatever. your anonymous microphone, whatever. You know, yeah. and just and just sort of, you know, cheer on misery. Right. Because that's right. kind of what it is, you know, and I'm not saying that this critic is necessarily miserable because I think that this person genuinely loves theater and wants to champion it. And I don't think that this person particularly enjoys writing bad reviews. I mean, that's not who I know this person to be, but at the same time, I do know that the reviews, um, the bad reviews and the good reviews, that there's, there's an entertainment factor to the reviews that they're writing. And, um, and so they often do get a lot of chatter, and so, but it's really who it really just kind of got under my skin when I started seeing who was responding to these reviews and, and really seemed to be taken with glee that yeah. this show failed. And that really, um, I don't know, that really, that really bugged me because I don't recall, you know, when I started there wasn't that sense of you know, almost like that sort of like rubbing your hands together and, you know, kind of like, yeah. You oh, know? oh, totally. I mean, I think, I think the internet and the rise of social media has contributed to it, but there's more schadenfreude now than I have ever seen in my lifetime. Look, there've always been hits. There's always been failures. There've always been powerful people that maybe people sometimes wanted to root against or underdogs that people wanted to root for. That's very human that's very natural but this is deeper and uglier and more toxic yeah i mean for for sure and just um and yeah it just kind of was like okay the show is bad it's got bad reviews it's gonna close um you know it, uh, is this something we should be throwing you know like having black backflips over I don't, right exactly I don't know. and no 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 I we shouldn't really know you know i mean you know, I, I don't know. It just, it just really struck me as, as um, it, it made, I don't know. It was just like really uncomfortable. And like I said, kind of looking at those names and going, oh yeah, yeah. When your production got a bad review, um, you know, you called me and started screaming. Right. Right. Like you have any control, but yeah, that's, I agree with you. I you don't know? see it getting better. It's the same. I don't either. Because I, I don't I, see people getting better. <laughs> I don't either. I don't, I really don't see people getting better either. Um, you know, and, and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not hard. It's not hard though, right? It's, I, I mean, it's not hard to be 
a decent human. And I think that, um, I think that we're missing that now. I think that it just, you know, I don't know, maybe people feel it is hard to be a decent, it's maybe it's easier to be an asshole. I, I don't think it is, but I think, I think we're just at a cultural moment that won't end anytime soon where everyone is just ready to pounce. And like, so I know, and I will probably say this again at some point, it'll come up, but everyone that I know is spoiling for a fight and like, they look for the slight, like everyone is a yes, but and they can't wait. And it doesn't matter. Like it could be you or me or a politician or an actor or someone on TV. You know, we talk about the Will Smith thing and you know, you can have an opinion. I could say, well, I think it was inappropriate what he did. And then someone could immediately say, yeah, but I did this and blah, 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 blah. Would you say that about me? Or yeah, but I heard you defend someone who once defended his fiance. I could say the sky is blue and someone's initial instinct would be, yeah, but I heard you say your favorite color is green. So is that even a compliment? Like it's such an ingrained part in how people are today. For those of you who don't know, um, you know, there was, a shooting on the subway here in Brooklyn and people's first instincts were to be like, well, the people should have stayed home. And this is why we have a problem with cops. And this is why X, Y, Z. And this is why you shouldn't live in that neighborhood. And it's like, whoever these people are, Wow, that's a lot. Just went through a a real thing and maybe dead and maybe injured for the rest of their life or maybe emotionally scarred for the rest of their life. So why can't you lead with a little bit of empathy or just shut the hell up? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that is the the sort of like whole thing that I can't kind of like wrap my head around. Why can't you lead with empathy? Like, why can't we all just lead with empathy? It just feels like it's not hard. I I swear it is the easiest thing, but it's also like, I have tried meditation and the easiest thing in the world should just be to breathe because we do it instinctively and I can't just do that. (laughs) (laughs) Ergo, maybe it is harder than we think. Um, Yeah. So that was on my mind. No, it's a, I think quite a legitimate topic. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up and I have no solutions because I see it the way you see it. And I, um, and I don't like it and I don't, or have any solutions to offer. And it feels like, you know, this is why I'm sort of like have one foot out of the industry at the moment. Yeah. It's not it's actually, a truly welcome the, place to yeah, be. I, 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 for yeah. the record, I will say this about the entire world of theater, not just from the, the industry standpoint, but like it's not a safe space to be right now. Yeah, I don't feel um the yeah. the world of, the the yeah. the larger world of theater of anyone who is somehow connected to it whether it's by interest or by practice or by vocation or avocation it is a it is a toxic unsafe space to be. Yeah, I don't know that um I don't know that I would say unsafe so much. Uh, I think that because it's like ultimately it's theater. You know what I mean? Um, but I do think it's toxic. I do think it's, it's, it's toxic and it can, and that, and that toxicity just kind of drags, right? 
like if you experience enough of that toxicity coming at you, eventually you're going to feel poisoned. And so, and and so that is kind of where I'm going. Like, I'm just trying to like, you know, it's icky, right? It's icky. Yeah. 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 Like trying to like shed the goo of like all of this. It's been kind of like going on and bubbling up for the past 10 years or so. This Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this sort of anger and this sort of, you know, a, a particular, particularly because like w- there are things to be angry about for sure, but a bad show ain't one of them. Right. <laughs> right. But, but <laughs> it's not I mean? because it's not really anger. It's actually a celebration. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I guess I'm sort of looking at it like, where is the celebration coming from? Because when you have that sort of like that sort of reaction to things when you're celebrating that actually says more about the person, right? Of course, Who's doing oh, yeah. the celebrating. Oh yeah. But it does yeah. About the project they're telling, itself, on, they're right? telling like, on themselves. Yeah. Like there there's like I'm looking at this person, right? And I'm saying, oh, I am seeing a level of um oh my God, I just lost the word. Uh but but there but you you end up seeing this sort of level of um of of insecurity of their own insecurities that are you know that are like kind of bubbling up right by by their attack of this other project because they don't feel like i don't know their work is is worthy or their work is good enough and so you know you kind of want to smack something down to kind of you know so, so that you know, you blow out the candle so your flame can burn brighter or, you know, whatever that is. But that, you know, you sort of, it is, it is this sort of like telling moment of like, okay, I'm seeing your insecurity here. Right. And, and, um, and I don't remember my point, but <laughs> I think you've made it. I think you've made it really well. No, I think it's all, it's, it's all part of the same thing. Yeah. So I don't know. So yeah. So I do feel like though, you're just like, we're just kind of wading through like this ick that is all over the industry. And I know so many artists just want to do work, right? Yeah. Like they just want to do their thing. They literally just want to be able to get out there and do what they wanted to do. Yeah. Especially been shut down for two fucking years and we're still partially shut down things aren't back online the way that they used to be everything has completely changed um i don't know when it's going to be quote unquote back to normal and i don't know what that normal is going to look like and you know we also lost a lot of really good people because of this pandemic and i don't even mean people that are dead like i'm just talking about people who said yeah you know what i'm out yeah, I have you to know? move on. This yeah. is my wake up call. This was a new chapter. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm kind of counting myself amongst them yeah. even though I still have one foot kind of in, you know, um and yeah, and and part of the reason why is feeling just completely abandoned by the industry that I put so much I hear that. into over, you know, 20 my 20 plus years of working professionally. Um, and, and feeling utterly and completely abandoned by my colleagues, by my employers, by my peers, by the government, but, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we were all just kind of, you know, like, I feel like, yeah, I was completely abandoned. Yeah. No, no big deal. Just complete and total abandonment. Yeah. (laughs) Ain't no thing, you know, (laughs) and I get it. It was a pandemic. Everybody didn't know what was going on. It was fucked up, but you know, but I did see, I did see pockets of, um, normal that were kind Mm -hmm. of happening, um, that didn't seem to happen. Um, that, that, that wasn't spread all over. Right. Anyway. 
I don't know. It just, I don't know. It just, it, like I said, it, it's, uh, it, it's an industry that I feel like I don't know or understand anymore. Yeah. I, I see that and have seen that a lot. Like yeah. I said, I don't have other answers. I, all I can do is validate that everything you feel is real and I see it the same way. Yeah. And when we, sh- when we shut off, I'll, I'll give you the gossip. Oh, <laughs> see guys, if maybe if we do a Patreon, you can be privy to that. <laughs> yeah, we should totally do a Patreon. <laughs> I'll tell all my secrets. <laughs> see, worth it, but you guys got to pay up. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've been downbeat enough for you. Um, Happy Passover, happy Easter, uh, and we will be back next week, maybe with some brighter lights to shine on. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to keep watching Severance, and uh, I'll keep watching Julia, too. So look forward to us revisiting that, among other things. Absolutely. All right, my dear. Thank you, as always. It was nice My to pleasure. You. Nice to do this. Definitely. You guys take care, and we'll see you next week back on the Boulevard.